Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Detroit Lions Breakdown Podcast. I'm Joe Kenya. With me, as always, is Eric Schlitt from PrideofDetroit.com. This is a special divisional round playoff edition of the <laughs> podcast. The Lions vanquished the Los Angeles Rams 24-23 in front of a raucous Ford Field, which included one Eric Schlitt. Eric, how did it go? Uh, it was exciting. Uh, loudest crowd I I'm sure I've ever heard before um, from an hour before kickoff right until, you know, I guess they were still going a good 10, 15 minutes after the end of the game as well. Uh, that's about when I had to go. I was on my way down to the basement at that point, but uh, the place was still packed when I was headed down to the locker room and it was jamming pretty much the whole time. Um, Why would you want to leave? Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I, I understand. The players were still out on the field for a while. Um, lots to celebrate. Um, decibel records were broke by the crowd. Um, they're either like the third or fourth. I think it was fourth. loudest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, of like all time. They were. Quote they were. Unquote. They were prepped. Yeah, they were. They were prepped. They they knew the uh, agenda. They knew what they needed to do. They came uh, with a lot of energy, a lot of energy early. And then, uh, you know, there was a smattering of booze for for Matthew Stafford, of course. Of course. But what I thought was very interesting was I think there was a lot of people that didn't want to boo Matthew Stafford, but also wanted to support the Lions and that piv- I think that group pivoted to the Jared Goff chant, and that chant was because it because it, it it showed up when Matthew Stafford showed up, right? Mm-hmm. So Stafford shows up, the booze start, and then the Jared Goff chant start. Now I think Jared was also in the tunnel at that time, so it could have been people saw him in the tunnel. It could have been that people were saying to to Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff's our guy now, and uh, I was very electric. And it was, I thought it was a very nice alternative because I think the booing was, they might've booed him one more time and that was about it. And, and the rest of the time it was more about promoting your guy as opposed to saying, you know, or feeling the need to boo. And, um, you know, they, they booed everybody. They booed every Ram. Look, when every well, that's, Ram. That's the thing, right? Like if all the Rams are out there, you know, boo all you want. Yeah. It, look, they booed every Rams position group that came out. So the Rams came out in their position groups, like groups of three or five. The long snapper came out of the tunnel and he got booed. Like they booed everybody. Right. So it wasn't like it was just Matthew Stafford. It was louder for Stafford, of course, but, um, it was, it was, you know, there were, there were no saviors. They weren't celebrating anybody that wasn't wearing uh Honolulu blue. How late did you leave? Was it like the next morning by the time you left the stadium? Yeah, I, I, so I went down to the locker room and then I locker room cleared out. I still was, then I had, uh, I was still in Goff's presser after the locker room was closed or essentially closed. Um, then I went up and I jumped on a live stream with POD. Then uh, we edited a couple articles. Then Jeremy and I did a, we did another uh, podcast for the 
the PODO subscribers. And I think I left somewhere just before two is I think when I left and then I came home, I was still energized. Uh, I watched the first quarter in a few miles. Well, I, I watched the first quarter and drank a beer and, uh, and I was in bed by four and then, um, which seemed fine until, um, I forgot the fact that my wife had a, a dentist appointment at eight and, uh, and my oldest wakes up at six cause that's when she goes to school. And so, uh, yeah, I was, I was up at seven so that my wife could go to the dentist. Mm. <laughs> it was an error on my part, but, uh, totally worth it. You know what I mean? Totally worth it. I, 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 I got to sit back and enjoy the, I watched basically the first three touchdowns. The first three drives is what I watched a little bit in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. I, I had took my favorite uh, beverage out of the fridge and I just sat with my legs up and just watched because, you know, I don't, I didn't get to experience it the same way uh, the people that were at home did. Right. Like I, I didn't get right. the angles and the the replays. Right. Because the, the broadcast was so far behind like from what I was told, NBC was like four or five plays behind. Whereas if you were watching okay. it like on the Peacock app, they were like one play behind, which was kind of oh, interesting. Yeah. So um, for whatever reason, the main NBC feed was w- even the one in the stadium was w- like minutes, like minutes behind. And so like trying to live tweet things that were going to happen is we were we would type a tweet watch two more plays and then watch, look up at the monitors and then try and it was, it was very hard to do. So we really didn't get to see it in the way we normally do where we get to see the replay relatively quick. Um, and so we try not to spoil things for the fans either that we're watching at home, but I, I right. also wanted to experience that. I wanted to experience what it was like to hear the broadcast to, to like the fact that you could hear the crowd on the, on the broadcast, I thought was very telling. Like that's how loud it it was. Like it was, it was so quiet on offense. And then when the, when the Rams were on offense, the the noise level was just, it was impressive. Yeah. Well, and Tariqo and Collinsworth were talking about it throughout the game. Tariqo was a nice plant to put into that game. I know that you just, lined up that way he he knows the whole background and he was able to talk about it here and there throughout um Trico gets this week too by the way yeah yeah it'll be it'll be interesting how they'll handle it because it when you get down to it like it was like really a pro lions broadcast (laughs) you know (laughs) like which is you know a rarity i mean i don't know not a rarity not this year now that they've, they've turned things around but you know, like like if I was a Rams fan, I'd be like, man, they're they're really pro Detroit in this broadcast. You know, <laughs> and it's fine. You know, they don't have a ton of fans anyways. It was the uh, the highest rated football game since last year's Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. Yeah, so everybody piled in to watch it. You know, it was the most interesting game of the weekend, and also the best game of the weekend. It turns yeah. out, yeah, you know, as far as a, a competitive standpoint and. There's nothing but good things you can say about the game, and we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. So let's let's start looking forward against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday, and uh, you know we'll we'll talk about that whole situation, how they beat Philadelphia and Green Bay upsets uh, Dallas, Dallas. So we'll get into yep. that. So first, let's talk transactions. James Houston ankle injury activated from IR. Interesting timing. Do you think he'll play on Sunday? 
Well, you know, I think they, I'm not a hundred percent. The reason that they activated him today was because they were out of time and they had to make a decision. Um, so it's, I'm not a hundred percent sure if he's like, yes, he's fully ready. Um, and that's why he's activated and not left on IR or if they're saying maybe he's not ready this week, but he will be next week. And it's worth it to us because, you know, we want to have that in our back pocket down the road. So I don't, I don't have a great feeling. I would, I think there's a really good chance. And I, if anything, I'd lean a little bit more towards yes, he plays than no, but I'm not a hundred percent certain that he's ready to go. It sure sounds like he is. It's he's acting like he is. And, um, if he's able to come back, even if he only gives them, you know, a dozen snaps, if he's the way, if he's as good as he was before, then those could be important 12 snaps. You know, it's not really like a situation. It's not a soccer like situation where, all right, they're going to bring him in in the 70th minute. And he's the freshest guy out on the field. Cause you know, he's coming off this, this broken ankle, you know? Right. So he'll need some time to get up to speed out on the field. I would assume I, yeah, that's why they gave him the full three. Like that's basically what he alluded to was that by them allowing the Lions keeping him, um, you know, in the in the evaluation window for a full three weeks, it allowed him to really get his body in a spot where it needed to be. Like they didn't rush him back, and so he feels pretty confident. And um, you know, hopefully, the Lions feel confident about him too. And if he has that bend, like, cause you know, that's the big unknown. Like he hasn't played in four months. Does he still have that, those angles? Can he still hit the bend in the way that he did before? If he can, that's a huge boost. All right. And the corresponding move, Julian Aquara was released. Yeah, it's, uh, it sure seemed like it was going to be him or Charles Harris. Uh, and then from a contractual standpoint, it was much easier to release Julian, uh, last weekend against the Rams, both Julian and Harris were inactive, and um, both of them are on expiring contracts. So you can't go in with seven edge rushers and then just keep deactivating two. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. And you know they want to keep some of those younger guys that are under contract for for multiple years, and they'll just keep deactivating those, like your Stephen Gilmore's and your Broderick Martins. Like they're not going to move on from those guys. They're not going to move on from Hendon. But um, so it seemed it really seemed like it was going to be a guy in the final year of his contract. And it also made a lot of sense that it would be an edge guy since they're of the since because of the way they're using them. And uh, I think Julian's Julian financially just it, it was just a lot easier to go his route. All right. Injury report. First off, wide receiver Khalif Raymond knee injury did not practice Wednesday or Thursday. It's not looking good for him to play on Sunday. Yeah, like they they they're saying all the right things to the media, like he's improving, he looks a lot better. Um, but the fact that he hasn't found the field in a couple of days is is kind of telling. At the same time, Sam Laporta didn't find the field until Friday last week, right? He did he his he did a practice after practice, you know, uh, on Thursday, but he didn't actually practice until Friday, and so. Maybe Khalif shows up and then he can play, but it, yeah, I agree with you. The The actions here tell me that he's probably not going to be available. Donovan Peoples-Jones played in his play, it played in his play, returned punts, you know, in yeah. his place. 
returned mm-hmm. one for four yards. You know, he cleanly handled the other punt from Ethan Evans. So, and it, oh, it's okay. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it turned, it it turned out it all right. Yep. all right. I think Tied you miss up. him on. I think you miss him on offense a little bit. They basically sure. leaned on yep. their their top three receivers. Uh, you know, Amon Ra, J-Mo, and, and Josh. They just leaned on those three guys a lot more. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones' offensive snap actually went down a little bit. Um, Antoine Green's went up a little bit, but they mainly leaned on the main three. Tight end Sam Laporta, knee injury, full practice Wednesday, limited on Thursday. So it's worth pointing out that the Wednesday's practice was a walkthrough. So technically they were just saying, Hey, if we think he would have been able to practice in full. Um, and then they scaled him back a little bit. Um, nothing really to worry about. In my opinion, he'll probably be full on Friday and then, uh, maybe get a questionable designation, but I fully expect him to play tight end Brock, Wright, Hip injury, full practice Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah. A uh, good sign. He's good to go as well. Heroic in his recovery of the uh, the very interesting Jared Goff lateral. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no kidding. All right. Center Frank Ragnow, toe, back, knee, did not practice Wednesday. It's his regular old rest day, full practice Thursday. Yep, same old story. Frank will be good. Edge rusher James, the aforementioned James Houston ankle injury, full practice Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, he's on the report basically because he's on I was on IR, and so he's going to stay on the report through the end of the week. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, we'll see whether or not he's um, able to go. Linebacker Alex Sanzaloni, shoulder and ribs, limited Wednesday, full Thursday. So he was injured late in the game, came out because of a shoulder injury, went back into the game. So um basically just managing him a little bit, but it sure seems like he's going to be fine too. Almost a harrowing moment. You know, I found myself sitting there going, Oh man, <laughs> I know. please not out long. And think about, you know, last year, two years ago, yeah. it's like, yeah, if yeah. he goes away, who cares? <laughs> right. Exactly. It's, it's, it's such a, uh, a juxtaposition from where we were with this linebacker unit a year ago. Defensive back, Brian branch, knee injury, full practice Wednesday, Thursday. So it's interesting here is that he had a wrist injury going into last week. Now he has a knee injury, but he hasn't missed any practice uh, for either. So um, he's still going. He should be good to go. Important role this week, too. Safety, Kirby Joseph, knee injury, full practice Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, same thing. He should be okay as well. He suffered at the hands of Matthew Stafford's sticks and stones. Or <laughs> the names never heard uh, calling yeah. him a dirty player. Yeah. Look, there's there are some flaws in the technique in which Kirby executed that tackle. Um, most notably his head was down. That's a that's a big no no. We all know that. Everyone knows that. It's bad for him, it's bad for the the uh person he's hitting. At the same time, in my opinion, uh he's what Dan Campbell said to us was he's his role or what he's taught is that you have to hit in the hip thigh pad area. And his initial contact, in my opinion, is was in that thigh area. And he but the follow through went went through the knee. And 
I, that's not purposeful. Um, the bobbling of the ball, him having to adjust and kind of jump in the air a little bit, I think made things a little bit even more, you know, compromising. But um, he did what he's taught. And that's not a, oh, the lines are being dirty. That is a, that's what the league wants you to do now. And it's an, it's just the way it is. Like, if you go high, you're going to get fined and you could knock somebody out. You don't want that. If you go at the shoulder area, you are giving up 60 pounds to these tight ends and you're going to, you're going to get, you're going to hurt yourself. And if he lowers his head, then you're hitting him in the head as well. So you have to be careful when you're going anywhere chest up. So your target window for a guy who's sprinting as fast as he can across the middle is, is pretty small for a lot of these guys. And so they're taught to shoot for the hips, shoot for the thighs. And yeah, you could argue there's a better way to do it and you should, you know, you can tackle, but then like, you know, you can try and wrap them up and you, you saw Kirby do that a couple of times and you saw Puka Nakua run right out of it. So I get what Kirby did. I understand why he's taught. You don't have to like it. And Matthew Stafford obviously didn't like it because his player got hurt. And there's a lot of Vikings fans that don't like it because TJ Hawkinson got hurt in a very similar fashion. But this is the way that the league wants them to tackle. Like he is, he's, he's, he didn't get fined for the Hawkinson hit. He's not going to get fined for this hit in my opinion. And um, I mean, maybe he will because his head was down, but I don't think he will. Uh, but he's getting a reputation for tackling the way that the league wants you to. And it's a bad, it's a bad rule for the league. Like it's a, like, this is how they're being told to tackle. It, it's they're being told to tackle this way. And it's not just like Kirby or, or the Lions saying it Harrison Smith, the, the Viking safety after Hawkinson got hurt, came to Kirby's defense and said, what's Kirby supposed to do? This is what the league, this is the position the league is putting him in. Like there's other team safeties on teams that are like, they're agreeing with him. Like it's a bad spot and it's a bang. It's, it's, it's a, it's a tough play. Um, I feel terrible for Higby. Like that's, I, you don't want that. And if, you know, even I think they said on the broadcast, if you ask 10 players, going over the middle where they'd rather get hit the head or the knee. Nine of them have nine of them say the head. Right. And, uh, but that's not what the league wants. The league says, you know, the league has concussion issues to deal with. They have CTE. They got all these other things to deal with. And so they've there, they've put the restrictions out there that say, you can't, you can't hit them. You have to hit low. And then what, because of that, you're seeing a lot of players get injured and until the league makes an adjustment or, or, you know, tries to figure something else out. This is, uh, this is part of the game, uh, in the NFL in 2023, 24 right now. All right. Let's talk about the game a little bit more. Um, started off real strong, three straight drives, 75 yards, each and every one of them touchdowns on every one of those drives points dry up for their kind of dry up for both teams. Yep. You know, the, like Badgley hits a huge 54 yard field, which yeah. none of us knew how important that was going to be. And you know, how shocking when you get down to it, that he nailed the 54 yarder. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. Where do we start? Start at the beginning. You know, the first drive uh, is, I think, a tone setter. Um, the Lions wanted the ball. They have been taking the ball. The Rams won the toss, and they deferred. And the, that's exactly what the Lions wanted. No matter who won that toss, the Lions were going to get the ball first. That's the way I see it. And they wanted to set the tone. And Jared came came out, and he was dealing. He had uh, he was he had Josh Reynolds four for on a string. First drive or five yeah, for yeah. five on that first drive. Yeah, it was it was it just it looked easy. He looked efficient. They were you know getting huge gashes in the run game. Right, asserting um, themselves on the ground. And it was exactly what you want. And they run behind Sewell like three different times, and Sewell's just manhandling people. And away they go. They gave up on that later in the game. That's they because were, the Rams adjusted. Pounding. Well, sure, yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of that going on, but they really went away from it as the game went on. No, for sure. Yeah, the Rams basically adjusted, loaded the box more, um, and they were basically saying – Go ahead and beat us, Jared Goff, and then I mean, you know, that Jared Goff did. He and was actually, then he did. He was, yeah, it was twenty-two of twenty-seven. Um, had an a, a, here. I'm going to pull his numbers up so I can be accurate. Um, two hundred seventy-seven yards. Thank you. And um, I have I have the I have the Bucks game pulled up, not last week's game. Sorry. Um, yeah, look, his passer rating was good. His he had two he had two touchdowns, no interceptions. And he made some tough throws. And yeah, so, yeah, just the the one questionable play, which I already mentioned, yep. which is you know what the zero turnovers for either team. So you know yep. both teams did a real good job when it came to ball protection, albeit they were in a dome. You know the weather was perfect, so you know that's yeah not not a big surprise. And you know they've had seventeen games up to this point to get everything down pat. The big that one of the things Collinsworth pointed out, and it's true, like they weren't giving. The Lions, Ben Johnson, you know, Campbell, they weren't giving uh, Goff easy throws right from the get-go. They were having yeah. them, you know, just firing it into small windows. They were, I mean, you got to give them credit that, like, yeah, we could try to build this confidence with some short throws, but eh, let's just have them go for it and see yeah. how it works out for them. And it did. And, you know, that's that's a big kudos to them. And, you know, just it helped them rack up, rack up all those points real quickly. I do think it was purposeful to target Josh Reynolds as well, like to get the whole former Rams players thing, like out of the way. Um, Josh Reynolds was motivated. Jared Goff was motivated and uh, they wanted to make a statement. And then when they get into the spots, Amon Ra is putting them in good positions. Then Montgomery scores on the second drive. It's Jameer Gibbs. And then on the third one, it's Sam Laporta. It's it's your old hat, man. It's it's the guys that have been doing doing it for you all year long, are uh, are doing it again. And it was it was very impressive. It was it was a very impressive first three drives. I tell you, I, you know, it's been broken down on social media a bunch, but that third drive, um, that it, so it's fourth down, and the. Uh, Ben Johnson calls uh, a basically like a jumbo formation. Dan Skipper comes out, he checks in, yep. very obviously. Yes, yes, to make it very obvious. Yep. Um, and then they have two tight ends, a fullback, and and Montgomery. And so the Rams counter 
with their own jumbo. They have one defensive back. And then what do the Lions do? They split out uh, their tight end fullback, or their two tight ends and their fullback, which forces two linebackers uh, and an edge rusher to shift out into coverage. And it happens to be that Laporta is the inside guy, which again, I think is purposeful because that's where the edge guy is. That's where the edge guy is going to be in coverage on the inside guy. And so you put Laporta on the inside guy, you run a little angle route and you get him in the back and, and the, the, the edge guy who dropped can't hang with Laporta. Don't be surprised if we don't see something like that again, because the Buccaneers like to drop their edge guys and if you can get Laporta matched up with an edge guy, it's a huge advantage. So, all right, we'll get to that in a minute, though. So, it's just a smart play call. It was a great fourth down call. And, uh, I mean, it's if they match up in jumbo, the way for Ben Johnson to set that up so that they match up in jumbo, and he knew he was going to get Laporta against someone who could not cover him. And it's that's a, that's a gimme. That's a that's a touchdown every time. And there was no help in the middle of the field either. Yeah, because they faked the run it, and that like brought you said, the, that pinched the DB. Yeah, yeah. it was now, it was very smart. The uh, Aaron Donald situation. Now Aaron Donald's not the same player even he was two years ago, but he's still excellent. Mm-hmm. And they, they threw all different types of looks looks at him to keep him from getting too involved in the game. Yeah, he was a feature. Like, they talked about him all week. They they knew they wanted to get him heads up uh, and double-team him, triple-team him. And they knew that they'd rather take their chances with the rookie one-on-one than Donald one-on-one. Now, the Rams do things to put, you know, the way they blitz or something like that. They, they got Donald in one-on-one situations occasionally. But... Lions were prepared for it. And really the only time that he made a really big impactful play, in my opinion, was on the, the golf mistake. He was the one that was getting pressure right. that, that forced. And that's it. Other than that, um, I thought the Lions did a terrific job um, against Aaron Donald. At late in the game, did you know that Amon Ross St. Brown, they're going to be looking for him. They're going to be targeting him to try to ice the game. Oh yeah. I tweeted it. I said, if I, I said, if I, if I'm Jared Goff right here, I'm looking for 14 because like, okay, so about four minutes left when they got the ball, um, they, they, they run on first down and then they pass to Montgomery and Montgomery gets the, the, he runs for, he gets a pass reception for like 11 yards and they get the first down and Jeremy and I start talking about time. And we're like, well, if they use the timeout ahead of the two minute warning, you know, like what kind of time are they going to have? And basically it wasn't, it was pretty quickly that we were like, man, if they get one more first down, then they can just take knees. So once right. I got to the, two and they were morning, wrong with that on NBC, like at the Tariko screwed up. Says, no, they won't be able to put an end to it. And then it's like, yeah. no, they can, they start hitting it. Like you start adding yeah. 40 seconds, 40 seconds. No, they'll be able to get it over with. Yeah. yeah. If you get a first down and they're out of timeouts uh, I, under two minutes, it's just under knees two minutes and, you're, over. and you're done. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So when, when they didn't use their timeout ahead of the two minute warning, that's when Jeremy and I were like, oh man, it's, it's first down and you win. And so even though it was second and long, we both agreed. We're like, you go for this now, you just go for the throat. And, and so, yeah, I actually, I tweeted, if I'm, if I'm Jerry Goff, I'm looking for 14 
And, uh, you know, when they came back from the timeout, that's or from the two minute warning break, it's exactly what they did. And, uh, it was perfect. It was, it was, it was a very, holy crap, they did it moment. You know what I mean? Like once they got St. Brown and then like the first thing we did was we looked to make sure there were no flags, right? Like, (laughs) but once we saw there were no flags and that he, like he did his, his extra effort got him past the line. Uh, then it was celebrate as much as you can without getting in trouble because you're in the press box. Uh, you know, <laughs> let's get into your feelings here, Eric. What did you feel yeah. as the game was winding down? Were you like, oh man, they're not hanging on here? Like, this might, this might not go well. Well, when they had the ball at like eight minutes, or was, you know, when they, when they went like, when they went three and out, I definitely you know, had some, some nerves because when they had the ball eight minutes, I was like, man, they can, they can go down. And, but if you're going to run a, like a lot of time off the clock, you're going to have to score because you're going to give the ball back to, to Stafford and Stafford will have a chance to score. And so, you know, if you want to stay ahead of the curb, I thought that that eight, that eight minute mark was going to be a, a very critical drive. And then they go three and out. And that's when I started to get a little nervous. That's when I started to feel the, okay, if Stafford scores, how much time is he going to leave on the clock? Right. And so they're moving the ball and then Hutch gets the edge and he gets held on third down. That was huge. And then when he got held, my initial reaction was, Decline it was that decline, your initial reaction? Yep. My initial gut feeling was decline it, let him kick the field goal because they're I don't trust their field goal kicker. And then I started saying, Oh man, if I don't trust their field goal kicker, they might not trust their field goal kicker, and maybe they go for it then. So then I right. started to second guess myself, and then you know, then Campbell just declined it, and I was like, Okay, now we're at third and seventeen. No, I'm he like, didn't he accepted it. I accepted it. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Uh and when he accepted it it was a third and 17 and I was thinking, man, they've converted on third and long multiple right. times. And so have other teams against the line. It's right. It, it was, it did. That was seemingly dicey. It's like, well, yeah, now you're giving them very... two shots to get the first down instead of just, you know, one play, you know, it, and McVeigh said after the fact that when they went in to the play, this, they had the, they had this play called thinking that they could get the seventeen. Um, if they got the look they wanted and if they didn't get the look they wanted, they were going to check down into a get half the yardage back type of thing and then go for it on fourth down. Uh, but he got the look he wanted. He had that backside, uh, man on man essentially. And so he's like, we got the look we wanted. We thought we could get the 17 and it was, it was close. It was real close, you know? Um, I liked the fact that they let him play, not just because of the result, but like, that's a big moment. I, we've seen flags come out in that moment a lot. Um, it was nice to see that the flag stayed in the pocket on that one. And once he missed that, then it was like, you know, like how, what are they going to do now? You know, with, with one time out fourth and 17, I was thinking you got to go for it again because you got to come up with your next best fourth and 17 play. Right. Because you only have one timeout. 
and you're going to kick yep, it back to golf with, with four back. minutes, you're not going to get you might you're not going to get the ball back, right? And so, with the way you're stopping the Lions anyway, like yeah, so that's what he wants. Who cares if he, they have the ball at midfield if you turn it over? Right, exactly. And so um, he punts it, which was a huge mistake in my opinion, and it ends up being because of, because of the timeout situation. And so when he punted, I felt. I felt a huge sense of relief because then I started looking at it like now you just have to get, now you just have to convert, you know, you convert twice and, and you're, and you're, you're looking great. Right. Like, and uh, again, my initial thought was, okay, if they go down and kick a field goal, how much time are they going to have? And then I started thinking, wait a minute, one timeout means they don't have to do anything. They just got to move 20 yards. That's what they, they got to do. They got to get. So, um, yeah, I was, it was, I, when that punt happened, that's when it really started sending in that they had a really, really good shot to, to, to win it. And, and, uh, I liked, you know, I felt really good for the first half, even felt all right in the third quarter. Then it started getting a little dicey end of the third quarter, fourth quarter. But yeah, that punt was really the, the swing moment for me where I was like, oh, okay, that's a huge mistake. You're now you're going to be in trouble. You know what's weird, Eric? Hmm. We kind of switched places. <laughs> I did not think they were going to lose that game, but like in that fourth quarter, I'm like, they're not losing. Yeah. It doesn't matter yeah. what happens; they're not going to lose this game. I don't know <laughs> what it was. It's it's like because when the Rams were moving and they had you know before they went to third and seventeen, I'm like, well, mm-hmm. there's still tons of time on this clock because I was expecting yeah. the Rams to hit on some big play, you yeah. know, and if they hit on the big play and the Lions stopped them before they got into the end zone where they were inside the 20-yard line. It's like the Rams are going to bog down there. They're going to end up kicking the field goal, and they're going to go up 26-24. And then there's going to be enough time, even though the Lions haven't been moving the ball. We've seen it before where they just go gangbusters down the field in the last drive. I'm like, I don't think they're going to lose this game. It was I've never felt like that before (laughs) when it comes to the Lions. You know, other teams, I mean, oh, yeah, that's what's going to happen. But – I don't know. I just, I didn't, I didn't feel it. I don't know why I would say, Hey, they're going to win this game. So I, I, I felt pretty weird, good. weird switch for me and you. <laughs> I did feel pretty good at the same time though. I was definitely looking at that clock going, I've seen Stafford do this before. You know what I mean? Like well, I've right, seen him. Yeah. There's nothing stopping golf from doing the same thing back to him. Right. No, I agree. I completely agree. Um, they made some big stops in the second half that, they didn't look like they were going to be able to do. Um, and they, when they got out of the third quarter, I, I knew they were in a good spot, but I still, you know, I've seen Stafford do things and the way he was dealing, it just, I got, I did, I definitely got nervous, but um, yeah, it was a, that punt was a huge mistake. I'll tell you what though, the thing that I've, we've mentioned multiple times now, and we should probably address is the fact that they basically had to burn two timeouts because of the crowd. Right. Um, finally, finally that crowd comes because that Seattle game, the crowd was insane, but it yeah. never affected the Seahawks negatively. Maybe on that Correct. one play at the end of regulation <laughs> where like it kind of discombobulated them and they ended up, you know, having that big screw up where they almost mm-hmm. take the safety at the end of the game. But like, finally, after a whole year of having great crowds, but other teams being pretty smart about it, except for there was one, one or two that went that were going on actual counts. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and I think it was the Vikings. Atlanta like, was Atlanta okay, was bad. Right. 
It's like, well, this is stupid. Why are you guys doing that? Like, people do silent. All, all teams do now is silent counts. Mm-hmm. But, but finally, that loud crowd, it, it, they cashed in. You know, they were truly yeah. the twelfth man at a, a few junctures there, forcing those timeouts. It was great. Yeah, it was huge. Like, it really was huge because it was all audible checks, right? Um, the the first one was an audible check that he couldn't get out there. And they didn't like the look that they have. And when they got that first one, um, when they took that first time out early in the second half, I was like, that's a, that's a huge, potentially a huge mistake. And then the second one came because they were late to break the huddle. And then they couldn't, they tried to then check into an audible and they were running out of time. And Stafford was screaming his head off, trying to get the message and they were not getting it. And I'm, and I, I thought it was going to be delayed game. McVeigh though, you know, positioned himself right by the ref in order to secure that because he saw the same thing I think everyone else did was they're late to the huddle and they're not getting that communication right and they are not going to get it off the playoff in time. And so he called the timeout. And again, I in my head, when he called that timeout, I was thinking, you might just want to take the penalty. You know what I mean? Because of the right. way that Stafford was playing five yards wasn't right. that as big of a deal as the timeout. Like That's... I'd rather have 40 seconds than, than, than five yards. And, but that tradition says you call it. All right. I have two, two, uh, you've been getting at it. Like there's two, two points that I wanted to make, or, or one of them's a question, but the, the McVay played everything by the book. That is what a traditional, yep. everything that he did in that game was what a traditional NFL head coach would do. In the you yes. know in the past, like like, and it cost them. Yes, and you know, and people always go on about like because like, there's a lot of people out there. The traditionalists is like you have to play the percentages. Like, what's the percent? It's like, well, this is what happens when you always play the percentages. Like, this is yeah. the thing where you could just give yourself like no time to try to win the game, and you you put yourself in this weird position where you can't do anything. You yeah. know, at the same time, Campbell. And, and it was more or less because of how the game was flowing, wasn't forced into any Dan Campbell super aggressive type maneuvers. Only on the fourth and two down on the goal line. But yeah. now in the modern NFL, I don't but think he, that, that's yeah, he, you should go for it every time now. That every team should because yeah, you can he, get two yards was, in the past. Yeah, yeah it's, 100%. It's I say. But that I, was a hundred percent planned. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. You get it seven out of ten times now, maybe eight out yeah. of ten times. Every most mm-hmm. teams, you know, it's not just the Lions. Like, correct, that's the move. But you know, they they punt even with the there was the one punt where they were nearing midfield, but it was like a a fourth and long situation. It's like, yeah, no, he's got a punt there. He played it pretty close to pretty close to by the book, but he was kind of forced to. There was no, he was never in that position to pull a Dan Campbell type moment which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I, th- you know, I think accepting that penalty, um, the holding penalty was a huge decision. I but that's that a very... true. That's what the traditional NFL coach would do. That's like, that's, that's what you would do. Except for, I guess in the seventies when those kickers couldn't <laughs> kick that far anyways, and it's like, all right, well, well, we'll decline the penalty. But I would think that the game that we grew up watching, that's a penalty you accept. I think he, he, I think there was a little bit more to it because I I do I think they would have gone for it on fourth and fourth and seven as opposed to, um you know third as opposed to like kicking it there, 
And and I in in my opinion, I I think that's what Dan was thinking as well. Was they might just go for it and seven and seventeen is a lot harder to get them than than uh, seven. And you know, I'd rather give them two shots at seventeen than one shot at seven. And so, I think that was his thinking. Uh, their kicker was so inconsistent that I'd be surprised if they if Dan was or if McVeigh was leaning towards kicking it and if Dan thought McVeigh was leaning towards kicking it. So um but yeah it was it was I th- I thought Campbell had his was he made the right calls. There was a couple of them like that fourth down when it was third and four, he still ran the ball at the goal line because he's been able to run it in from third and four. And if right. he doesn't, he's got a good play call for fourth down. And so you know it was a couple decisions that you know could have gone the wrong way but didn't and and Campbell looks smart and McVeigh made right. a couple that look cowardly and those cost him literally cost him the game the timeouts and the punt that those like th- those those two timeouts that they called and that punt those three plays or those three decisions is what ended the game all right, one last thing. We, we need to move on from this game because the, the okay. Buccaneers are what's important. Is Stafford better, like a lot better, than when he left Detroit? I think that the we talked about it in the preview was that they've designed the offense with Stafford to be able to make him be better, right? Like they've they've played to his strengths. They've, they've designed it to get the ball out quicker. Um, he's still incredibly accurate and uh, – you know, can do some wild things with the ball. So I think he's a different quarterback and he is, I think he's very much playing within the system right now, but also he's still got a little bit of that gunslinger in him. So I think it's kind of like a, a best of both worlds. So I do think he's playing well. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I, maybe yes, better. I don't know. It's hard. See, to, it's hard to say for certain. Cause I, I was watching it and I'm thinking, well, is this a function of having like Jim Bob Cooter as your offensive coordinator? Sure, for yeah, being, that's part of it. It's where, but like Stafford had periods in Detroit where he'd be playing well and then you, it would almost like he was getting bored with what was going on. They start going three and out, three and out, three and out. Like, and he'd get a little lackadaisical on some drives and then what forced a whole lot of fourth quarter comebacks is the Lions would get down for whatever reason. He'd have to bring them all the way back. Whereas he was pretty even and steady all the way through, even though the defense, the Lions defense got a lot better in the third and fourth quarters. Like he wasn't too affected by it. Like his passes were still good. It's mm-hmm. just the Lions were in real tight in coverage, you know, like and and Stafford had to throw somewhere and he wasn't throwing it up for grabs. He was putting it in a position for, you know, like his guy to be able to catch it. It's just, you know, he didn't it wasn't available all the time. So I don't know. I mm-hmm. I thought just by watching that game and you know, watching the Super Bowl that he was in and then some other games that we've been able to see locally, like he does seem like a better player. But you make a good point. He's playing within a system, he's playing within somebody who has a good system. And he just had like a long lifetime of bad systems that he was playing in in Detroit. And that could, and you know, that could be a function of that, you know, from what we saw. That was it. That's all I wanted to go through. Let's, let's kill the Rams game 24, 23. We're moving on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is a little surprising. Although, you know, Philadelphia was in a bit, well, surprising because a, the Cowboys got destroyed by the Packers and then B, (laughs) um, 
you know, the, the the Philly you know the Philly uh, ship circled the drain and finally went down mm-hmm. on Monday night. You know they were already playing bad. I thought maybe they'd turn around for the playoffs. They didn't, and so the Lions get the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A little bit of of a surprise. Yes. Uh, Game will be at Ford Field, where the Lions have never lost a playoff game. In fact, the Seattle Seahawks have lost more playoff games at Ford Field than the Lions have. That's an <laughs> interesting fact. Um, game's going to be Sunday, 3 o'clock on NBC. Lions are favored by 6.5. Mike Tirico, Chris Collinsworth on the call with Kaylee Hartung and Melissa Stark down on the field. What are your thoughts about that? It's I, I find it interesting because this is... Um... They've essentially got the Sunday night crew three of the last four weeks. So um, it's, it's, I think the familiarity helps. And I do think that some of the pro lions uh, messaging that was out there last week was probably because they were just on the call in Dallas. So uh, I expect there to be more of that, I guess is what I'm getting at. Um, Lions hosting a game against Tampa uh, with the same crew that has that watched him uh, get on the wrong end of it in Dallas and then win last week. I think they're very much going to be uh, happy to, uh, to call another Lions game. All right. The referee, Bill Vinovich, 15th season as a referee, 18th season overall in the NFL. He's called 18 playoff games, averaging 11.1 penalty 11.81 penalties per game slightly above the NFL average of 11.4. He hasn't called the Lions game this year. Uh last game he called for the Lions was in week 2 of 2022, which was a very low flag day. Um only 3 penalties accepted in total on the day. So very low scoring or very low penalized game that game. Uh, be the game before that, it was still relatively even, relatively low. Um, so he's he's been decent in the in the Lions games where uh, of keeping the flag in his pocket. Um, no big history of negativity against the Lions. He's you know, other some other fan bases are, don't necessarily like him, but hey, look, he's been around for fifteen years and he's he's refereeing in this round for a reason. Um, I hope he's not as involved as uh as last week um there's a couple controversial penalties in last week's game a couple flags that went out like we didn't even talk about uh the false start the taylor decker false start that wasn't um we didn't talk about you know uh a couple of late hits that should have been yeah. yeah i know um and so yeah so like we didn't hopefully this is a little cleaner game and uh at this stage, you know, they, they've, I think these four refs are hopefully, uh, or I'm sorry, these four playoff games with the four refs that they have, hopefully are the ones that, uh, you know, can, can keep these things, these games, you know, easy and clean. And, uh, it should be a good weekend. And hopefully, like I said, especially with the lions get another very seasoned referee that hopefully will, you know, do what he's supposed to do. All right, the DVOA stats, Lions are overall number seven, offensively number five, throwing the ball their seventh, running the ball their fourth. Uh, Conversely, on defense, ranked 13th overall, 16th against the pass, first against the rush. The special teams ranked right around the middle of the pack at number 19, a little bit lower than the middle of the pack. 
Buccaneers overall are number 18, offensively ranked 20th overall, 16th throwing the ball, 28th running the ball. Defensively at number 14, uh, 14th against the pass and 8th against the rush. Special teams of 18, a uh, slight tick above the Lions. I don't know if we how closely we want to stick to these DVOA numbers because the Buccaneers have been on a roll recently. Yeah, so I actually went down and broke them broke down the last four weeks of the regular season. Um, and you can see there's a big jump for, for the, for the bucks and a lot of the DVOA categories lines get a bump in most of them as well. Um, for example, overall, the lines are fourth instead of seventh uh, in DVOA over the final month, but the Buccaneers jump up from 18 to seventh. So they're, they go real high up um, overall. Against, if you want to look like head-to-head, the Lions' uh, offense is uh, ranked fifth right now and and fifth over the last month. The Bucs' defense jumps up from 14 to fifth, and that's a big reason why they are so high, as high as they are overall. The Lions' passing attack is sixth in DVOA over the last month. The Bucks is ninth. So a little bit of an advantage to the Lions in the passing attack. And when we get down to the breakdown, I'll explain more on why I believe that might even be bigger than what we're seeing here. Um, and then rushing, Lions are fifth, but the Bucks are all the way up to one. Over the last month, they were the best run mm-hmm. run uh run defense in the in the NFL. Now they're good run defense, but they're also susceptible in some areas as well. But they've been very, very stout against the run. So Opportunity for the Lions is a passing offense. Rushing game is going to have to make some noise, and if it can, it could be a huge advantage. Now, we'll over be... those – oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Over those last seven games, you know, mm-hmm. Buccaneers 10, 10 and 8 overall, those last seven games have, have come against this murderer's row of opponents. Carolina Panthers, mm-hmm. Atlanta Falcons, the Packers in Green Bay. They beat the yeah. Packers in Green Bay. Against then they beat the sinking ship Jaguars. They mm-hmm. lost to the Saints. Yep. And then the fully sunken ship of the Carolina Panthers. They beat in the last game to to seal the division, and then played another sinking ship in the playoffs to get to right. that six and one wreck. So, you know, they took advantage of their schedule at the end of the Correct. year. That's for sure. You know, because there's a lot you. Could even say that about the Lions. It's like, well, who, you know, they didn't play that great of a team. It's like, well, they still went out and won the games. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's something to be said about that. Baker had a perfect passer rating in that Green Bay game. Like that was the best he's played the entire season. Uh, the worst he played he's played the entire season was probably against the Lions. Right. I had a I had a hard game that game. Um, but yeah, that Green Bay game, he was on fire, and um. You know, the Saints game, I think, is a good example of how the Lions can can beat them. And, um, yeah, it's like a couple couple wins. Like, they beat the guys in their division to get the advantage. And, they, like, like you said, beat Carolina twice. These are games they should win. And, um, you know, they end up, they end up uh, getting to nine because of this hot run down the stretch. And uh, that's why they are where they are. So... Yeah, so you got to tr- you got to take some of these numbers with like a grain of salt as well when you could, when you start looking at like what the, who their opponent is and stuff. Um, let me wrap up the defense here. 
Yeah, go ahead. Uh, when we look at the Lions defense versus the Bucks offense, the Bucks offense is uh, jumps up from twenty to fifteen. Lions defense jumps up from uh, thirteen to eleven over the last month. Their passing attack is eleventh. Lions passing defense is eighteenth. Uh, their rushing attack is still bad. Over the last month, it was twenty seventh. And the Lions rushing defense was fifth over the last month, even though they were number one overall in the whole season. They did give up a little, you know, a few yards here and there uh, down the stretch, which kind of knocked them down a little bit. But basically, if you're looking for where the advantages are, it is the Lions have a very distinct advantage in the past, have a dis- have an advantage in the pa- their passing offense. The Bucks have an advantage with their passing offense. Lions have an advantage with their uh, rushing attack and their rushing defense. And so that's where I think the difference is. Now the rushing ones are going to be the Lions rushing offense versus the Bucks rushing defense is going to be a close battle. And maybe you can call that one even, but the Bucks run offense versus Lions rush defense. It's a clear advantage for the Lions. So both passing offenses are good, but the Lions are going to own the ground. And I think that's why that's one of the reasons why I they they have the advantage or the uh, you know, the betting line that they do, the fact that they've already beat them once this season. It goes into that, the fact that they're at home, uh watching what they just did to the Rams, listening to the crowd. I think all those things factor into why they're almost a touchdown favorite in this game. All right, with Tampa Bay roster, we'll start with the quarterback. You mentioned him already, Baker Mayfield, probably having his best season as a pro. Uh, yeah. Over 4,000 yards passing, 28 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. More importantly over that, that 6-1 and one, um, rally at the end of the year, 14 touchdowns, 3 interceptions. Yeah, he's um, he's more accurate than he was at the beginning of the season. He is taking deeper shots than he was and connecting on those deeper shots downfield than he was at the beginning of the season. I mentioned the perfect game against the Packers, which was awfully, uh, you know, helpful for his, his confidence. That's for sure. He's being aggressive and they're giving him options. Uh, A lot of times they will send all five guys out on routes and just say, Hey, if our offensive line can hold up, Baker will have five options and we trust the Baker will you know, he'll hit the right one. And so they'll send these five guys out and um, trust their offensive line. They have two really good tackles that we'll talk about in a second. Interior is a little suspect, but that's, you know, we can talk about that. Uh, And so, but Baker has been efficient with the ball. He does gamble, you know, that's part of his nature. He's still a little bit of a gunslinger and he'll, He'll put the ball in harm's way, uh, you know, a couple times a game, but he hasn't turned the ball over, which is uh, awfully helpful. And so lack of turnovers, efficiency with the ball, aggressive nature, those are all reasons why he's being successful because um, he's definitely, like I said, the the offense has definitely improved since the Lions saw them in week six. So, yeah, and, and including that that improved offense, the running backs, the lead back is Rashad White, Chase Edmonds, Sean Tucker, the backups, Edmonds is listed as questionable. Rashad White is an example of that improved offense over time, was having a real home hum season for the first half of the year, and in this 
last seven, eight game rally, his numbers have really improved. He's been uh, uh, more of a factor on the ground. Yeah, he's he's still not great though, right? No. Um, their their interior is are pretty good run blockers, but their interior offensive line is is really pretty bad uh, pass blockers. But the the what they they've been the interior has been more successful against the run, and that's helped him. But he hasn't been a while he's put up more yardage, he hasn't really been a creator. Uh, and, and so the numbers have been down, right? Uh, be, and that's why they're like 27th over the last month and 28th over the season in DVOA because it's just they're not as consistent or efficient in, in what they need to do. And, and the Lions are going to focus on stopping him. And it's going to be their focus. It's it's what got them to the playoffs. It's what it's part of what helped them uh, win the game last weekend. And they are going to focus on stopping him. And and I think they will. I think they're going to have a really good. Uh, they're going to have really good amount of success uh, in stopping the run. And I think Rashad White's going to have a hard time breaking. You know, like fifty, sixty yards. Wide receiver group is Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Russell Gage. Oh, wait a second. It's not Russell Gage, is it? <laughs> Been on IR the whole year. It's Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Trey Palmer are the main receivers. Very good receiving crew off the bench. Devin Tompkins, David Moore, Raheem Jarrett. Uh, so Evans has, I think he has 1,250-something yards, 13 touchdowns. Uh, Godwin has over a thousand yards and a couple touchdowns himself. They both caught close to like 80 receptions. They um, are terrific. Godwin does a lot of his work from the slot, but when they're not, um, when they're not using Godwin in the slot, then that's when they'll bring on Trey Palmer. He is splitting his time with David Moore. David Moore caught a touchdown uh, last week against the Eagles. So he got a little bit, he's been getting a little bit more run, but he's more of an outside guy. So like, you'll see like Evans and more on the outside Godwin in the slot, or maybe you'll see Evans and Godwin on the outside and Palmer in the slot. Like it's, they've got some nice variations. They've got four guys that they like to lean on. Uh, Tompkins will get on there, you know, as well, but um, it's a good, it's a good group. Palmer is a is you know he had his rookie bumps early in the season definitely wasn't a factor against the Lions in week six but he's played better down the stretch and he's part of the reason why um you know Baker has been successful because he has a, a very nice crew of receivers that he can get the ball to definitely a very dangerous group for the Lions defensive yep. backfield yep. to deal with uh the tight ends oh sorry no, I was just going to say, it's the biggest problem. It's the, it's the biggest obstacle the Lions are going to have to face. The tight ends, Kate Otten, who's really come on lately, had a great playoff game against the Eagles. Co Keeft and Payne Durham. Yeah, Otten, I mean, Otten hasn't had a great season. But like you said, he's played well down the stretch. He's played He played well last week. Eight catches for like 89 yards uh, against the Eagles. And... I just I don't know how much of a factor he's going to be, especially with the way that the receivers uh, can 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 play. So, yeah, but uh, but Otten's a guy you have to account for, right? Uh, second year guy, um, he was uh, a early day three pick, if I'm not mistaken, 
and um, he's he can be a threat if you let him, but he can also be a guy who you know isn't as involved in the game plan if if Baker's finding success downfield with his other pass catchers. All right, on the offensive line, left to right, Tristan Wirfs, Aaron Stinney, Robert Hainsey, Cody Mach, and Luke Gadecki. So Wirfs is one of probably the best, maybe top five offensive tackles, left tackles, whatever you want. I mean, however you want to quantify it in the NFL. I think he is a young rising star and um, he's fantastic. He, he is, he's a problem. You it, to try and get around him and then to Baker is very challenging. Um, and it, it's going to be a hard row on the other side. Gadecki was bad as a guard last year, but they moved him to tackle and he's been good. He's actually probably been above average. I thought he did a really good job, uh, the, in their last matchup against Hutchinson, I thought he probably got the better of Hutchinson. Hutchinson had one of his third worst. I think it was his third worst game of the season. He got one pressure, one tackle. That was it. Um, And for a guy who got 111 tackles or whatever, or pressures to go to be held to just one against them, uh, I think is uh, a real feather in their cap. So their tackles are, are, are problems. And like I said, Kadecki, probably got the better of Hutchinson last game, last time they faced off. So Hutchinson will probably uh, remember that. And um, it'll be interesting. I think Hutchinson has developed. Uh, he's We've seen him improve down the stretch. He's he's not this, I don't think he's necessarily the same guy that he was when he faced them the first time. Like, for example, the last, like, what was it? The last four, three games, he has seven seven sacks in the last three games or something like that. Or is it seven sacks in the last four? I forget. But he's um, his PFF scores are all, like, in the high 80s or 90s. Um, the pressures are, like, you know, he had nine pressures last game uh, against the Rams, uh, including drawing that, that critical holding call. So it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Gadecki can handle... Um, you know, if you have multiple moves, but he doesn't handle power. So that could set him up to, you know, maybe, maybe Hutch tries to power him, or maybe they try and use um, Josh Pascal to try and use Pascal's strength. Be interesting to see how they, uh, how they attack. My guess is you're going to see a mix of all kinds of stuff, but those of those tackles are really good. The interior is not as good. They're better against the run, but they're not really good against the pass. They, um, they started the season, and I believe last time they played, um, Thelier was their left guard. Now it's Stinney. Um, neither one of them are very good. I think if if Stinney has to deal with Aleem, it's going to be a really long day for them. Um, Hainsey is, I don't, I don't think he's in the top half of the centers in this league either. And if they have to use him, then that leaves them a little bit susceptible to maybe some inside pressure. This could be a week where you see the Lions blitz Alex Anzalone in the A-gap. You could. This could be a week where they they bring um, Iffy on some delayed blitz through, through the center there as well. Um, Baker has done a really good job handling the blitz this year, but they're susceptible to that in the middle. And if you're going to get pressure on Baker 
and you think you're you don't think you can get it done against those tackles you can get creative in how you attack that interior all right let's flip over to todd bowles's defense a three four front uh the defensive line kalijah Kansi, vita vea logan hall with the reserves patrick o'connor former lions draft pick from eastern michigan greg gaines and william volston the former spartan vita vea there's their dangerous man right there yeah, so basically what they do is they run a like a, it so Todd Bowles defense if you recall is based in a 3-4 scheme, but a lot of the time they won't operate as like a 3-4 base, they'll operate as like a two down lineman with two pass rushing linebackers in 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 their base formation. What they will also do is they'll show you five on the line of scrimmage and then they drop a guy. So they'll just bring four instead of five. They'll also drop an edge guy and then blitz a linebacker and maybe a a defensive back as well. And the article that I'll have out on my preview, I, I show an example of that. And so by dropping that linebacker, dropping that edge guy and then blitzing on the opposite side, it creates some uh, opportunities, you know, where they can be more aggressive. The The Bucks blitz about 40% of the time, but the Lions have been really good at picking up the blitz. They've faced um, the Vikings, who blitz 51% of the time, and Denver, who blitz 35% of the time. Those are the bucks the 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 bucks the vikings and the broncos are all in the top 5 when it comes to blitzing so the fact that you've already seen the bucks blitz and you faced minnesota twice and denver once in the last like 5 weeks you've seen a ton of blitzing and so your offensive line is going to be ready for this and jared goff i think has handled it well so i'm not super worried about them blitzing and if they don't blitz, then they're going to have a harder time getting pressure. And if they have a harder time getting pressure, it's just going to leave more opportunities for Jared Goff. So how they utilize their front is going to be super important because if they can't get home or if they can't get pressure the way that they normally do, it could be a huge issue. And it was, and it was last time. That's why Jared Goff, threw for 350 yards against them. I mean, part of it was because the running game was banged up, but Jared Goff was dealing against them because they weren't able to get pressure. So we're going to see what we saw last week against the Bucs. If you, if you, if you only, if the only game you've watched against the Bucs was against the Lions and then against the Eagles, you probably saw more three down linemen. They did this. Uh, on purpose. They went with more three down linemen and their two edge rushers and less defensive backs against the Eagles because they wanted to stop the run and they wanted to stop hurts. So they ended up with like five defensive linemen, more of a traditional three, four in, in the box last week against the Eagles. But if you've watched some of the other games, you're going to see more of what I expect to see against the lions, which is usually only using like two of those guys that you mentioned at a time. 
and then leaning on their edge rushers and linebackers to kind of fill out that front. Super effective against the Eagles, by the way, 15 carries for 42 yards for all Philadelphia ball carriers. Yeah, certainly. Um, those edge defenders you mentioned a couple of times, Shaq Barrett, Yaya Diaby, Joe Tryon, Shoyinka, um, Anthony Nelson, Cam Gill, Marquise Watts. So Shaq Barrett uh, was a Pro Bowler a couple of years back. He's not quite the, the guy he used to, to be. the Super Bowl champs. Yep. Um, uh, but he's not quite the guy he used to be. Um, he's not as good as he was. He's still good. Still good. Still their best edge rusher. Uh, when the Lions faced them last time, Tryon was their other starter. Since right. then, Tryon has been supplanted by D- Yaya Diaby. Uh, Yaya is a uh, rookie third rounder. We talked about Yaya Diaby out of Louisville a few times um, in the offseason when we did our draft previews. He's good, but um, he's not like elite. Uh, he's he's an average guy who I thought would be a nice rotational piece, and that's kind of what he is. He sees about half their snaps, um, along with Tryon getting some snaps, and then um, you know Nelson gets some snaps as well, like you mentioned. But um, he's a developing player. So you've got Shaq Barrett, who is, I think, on the on the downside of his career. And then Diaby, who is a young guy who's ascending, but maybe not quite there. And Tryon, who got benched for Diaby. So the edge rushers are not like these. They're not these like players that you necessarily have to account for or be, be very worried about. Like Vita Vey, you have to know where Vita is. You don't have to know where their linebacker, their edge rushers are as much. They're just they're more average based guys. The reason they can get a lot of pressure is because they scheme it up. They uh, they will drop all of these guys into coverage. They'll drop Shaq Barrett. They'll they'll drop Yaya. They'll drop Tryon. It's all depending on uh, that's all part of how their scheme works. But if you're saying Shaq Barrett, go beat Panay Sewell. it's not going to happen. He's, he's, he's not going to beat Panay. Now he's going to give Taylor maybe a little bit more run, but again, I think Taylor Decker is way better right now than either of these, any of these edge rushers that, that Tampa Bay has. So I think there's a distinct advantage to the lions and, and that's why it's going to be interesting to see how they utilize those interior guys, because I think the lions tackles versus their edge, big advantage to the lions. Off the ball linebackers for the Buccaneers, Devin White, Levante David, very uh, memorable names from that 2020 Super Bowl championship team. Off the bench, Servosia Dennis, Anthony Nelson, Cam Gill. Oh, wait, I'm reading that wrong. Servosia Dennis, KJ Britt, JJ Nelson. JJ Russell, jeez. <laughs> Put me to bed. Uh, he doesn't even he doesn't play. He doesn't play. So it yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah, it's Sorry. The end of the bench. Um Levante David is their star. He is, uh, he's asked to do a years lot. Old. Um, he's asked to do a Creaky. ton. He's asked, he's asked to cover and he, and he will chase guys down the field. He will run with tight ends. He will run with backs. Um, last time he got matched up with Laporta quite a bit. And I believe Laporta ended up catching only four for 36 uh, yards. But, They've struggled as a unit overall against the tight end. Uh, They're 13th in DVOA in covering the tight end. They average eight and a half catches to tight ends a game for 63 uh, plus yards. Uh, They have given up 
on the season, 102 receptions to tight ends for over a thousand yards. That's that's third worst in both categories. They've also given up seven touchdowns to tight ends. This is a potential advantage for the Lions. And I and so I mentioned it earlier in our show here that if you can get Laporta matched up against a dropping edge guy, this is where they can eat. If you get Laporta against Levante David, that's going to be a tough matchup. It's going to be contested catches, tight coverage. It's going to be hard for Laporta to eat. But if you can scheme Laporta open, if you can scheme him up against a couple of guys that can't cover him, or even Devin White or one of the other like you know linebackers, it's a big advantage, and uh, I think for Laporta and a real chance for him to uh, to have a, a good game. So keep him away from Levante David as much as you can. Levante, you know, he does a lot. He's going to have to stop the run. He's going to have to pay attention to backs, and he's going to have to you know try and deal with Sam Laporta as well. So. He's not going to be able to do all of it at the same time. And I think when you get the opportunity to find a, a non Levante, David, Sam Laporta matchup, you got to keep Sam in mind because uh, he's probably going to have an advantage over anyone else. Not named Levante, David corners, Carlton Davis, the third Jamel Dean, Zion McCollum, uh, Christian Izian, and Josh Hayes. So because they were using less secondary players um, last week, again, you're going to see a mix of like how these different guys were used. Um, Carlton Davis and Jamal Dean are their outside corners. That's pretty much the way it works. Um, And then Antoine Winfield, uh, we're going to get to him in a second, is their deep safety. But then how they utilize the other safety spot and their nickel will vary. Um, typically, uh, Izion, uh, I, I mispronounce his name all the time. Uh, he is, he's been their slack guy like all year. Uh, and he's done well, or actually, I'm sorry. He was not their slack guy at the very, very beginning, but he was there when the lions played him in week six. Um, worth noting, he was their slack guy in week six. Amon Ra caught 12 passes for 124 yards and a touchdown. So, just worth noting um, this past week, they ended up using him as kind of like a de facto safety two because they were using Zion McCollum a little bit more. Um, so it, it's kind of a mix and match with how he, sometimes he's a, a nickel. Sometimes he's a safety. It just how they assign him. It, you know, it, it varies. Right. But bottom line is he's basically going to be an inside guy. Um on the outside, Carlton Davis and Dean, those are guys that have been there for a while. Uh, they did pretty well against uh, the Lions' outside receivers. Josh Reynolds only had 50 yards. JMO had 53. Uh, but keep in mind that JMO was this was his first or second game coming off the suspension. And he caught a 45-yard touchdown. He had that bomb into the end zone where he got loose. And I think he could potentially be an, another option to stretch the field. The Bucks run this cover two. And just like with any of these cover twos, the way you beat them is with, with speed with, with, uh, with JMO. And so you saw a lot of that against the Rams. I expect to see that against the Buccaneers too, using JMO to try and run these guys off. 
Uh, they're good against the run, but they play a lot of zone. And so when they're in zone, you can stretch them. You put them at a disadvantage. So their corners are good, but at the same time, the scheme and how they're being utilized and how the line, I don't think they match up very well against the Lions uh, skill players. And so a JMO, Josh Reynolds, Amon Ra attack uh, could have the potential to be very, uh, very profitable. Safeties for the Buccaneers, Ryan Neal and the All-Pro Antoine Winfield Jr., D. Delaney and Kayvon Merriweather off the bench. So last week, again, like I said, they used Winfield. Winfield's their, their All-Pro, right? Or, well, he's not an All-Pro, but he's not even – he, he should have been a pro bowler. He wasn't not a pro, but he's, he's an all he's listed as an all pro here. Is he? Oh, okay, great. Good for him. Um, he's very good. <laughs> good. I'm glad he is. I didn't think he, I didn't think he got that, but okay. All pro first team. Oh, wow. Oh, even more impressive then. Um, he's very good. Uh, but again, they drop him into the deep, you know, cover twos a lot. And so, his ranginess can be very effective. Like if you try and hit that turkey hole uh, on, on the sideline, he can get there and he can shorten those windows. Uh, but you're also taking arguably your one of your best defenders and you're putting him on one half of the field deep. And that leaves a lot of opportunities to, you know, throw the ball where he isn't. So, as good as he is and, and as much range as he has, he's really far away from the action sometimes. And so he's not always a factor on, uh, on half the plays. So you can move away from him. Their other safeties are not great. Um, Neil has not been good. He didn't even play last game. Like that's like, he was, he's a starter listed as a starter. He's been a starter. Didn't even play last week because of their design. They just went a completely different direction. So like if with that being the case, they don't really have a second safety like, and and that's a, and again, a real disadvantage. They're going to, they'll drop that other safety back because like I said, they do a lot of cover too. And when you do that, you leave the middle of the field vulnerable. And as we have talked about countless times throughout this season, Where does Jared Goff like to attack? He likes to attack the middle of the field. And so when you have these unique blitzes up front and you have the linebackers, whether it's an edge rushing linebacker or an off the ball linebacker dropping into these coverages underneath, then you drop your corners on the outside zones and you're cutting your safeties into cover two. You've got these big gaps in the middle of the field. And that is where Jared Goff eats. I mean, he eats over the middle. And so, again, a real advantage, in my opinion, for the Lions. So, starts up front. You can tame the blitz. There is a real opportunity to pick this secondary apart if your quarterback is dealing. And as we have seen the last few weeks, Jared Goff is absolutely dealing right now. So, He's and he's been great against the blitz in general. So this is where the Lions can win the game. They're going to want to run the ball. And I know that that you're going to say, "Hey, 
maybe you, you get Gibbs more involved in the in the passing game because you know you saw a little bit more of that last week. Uh, Bucks are terrific against the pass uh, if you throw it to a running back. They give up five catches a game, but only twenty seven yards. Right, like they are. It's because their linebackers are fast, right, and because they drop into these zones and they keep the running back in front of them. So they've done really well against dumping off to Gibbs. So you might see Gibbs run the ball more. And look, I still think they're going to try and get the Gibbs the ball in space because he's electric. And even if you think you have him boxed in, he can still get past you. So I still think Gibbs is going to be heavily involved. But I, I don't. I think it's going to be a little bit different than it was last week against the Rams. I think they're going to try and um, get him involved more creatively. So it's a, there's a lot of opportunity to pass, I guess is what I'm getting at. And while their pass defense has been better of late, their pass defense is typically good because of their blitz. And, and if you can take that away, you can put up points. And I think the Lions can. I think the way their schedule has laid out, the way the opponents that they faced, the fact that they've been dealing with teams blitzing them a ton recently really sets them up for success. And I'm I think that they're going to be able to handle the the blitz. And if they can, this is how the Lions win right here balanced rushing attack for the lions against the the buccaneers first time around 22 carries for 40 yards just a reminder yep. of that let's also remember that gibbs was yeah, not, gibbs didn't play and gibbs montgomery play got hurt in the second quarter early in the second quarter yeah. so it was craig reynolds for the majority of the game right so in it but here let, well let's just run down that list here for a second in addition to gibbs not playing and in the in addition to montgomery getting hurt in the second quarter they also didn't have Jonah Jackson. Uh, I mentioned JMO was coming off a of suspension, and uh, yeah, Decker was dealing game. with Decker was dealing with an injury. Laporta and Amon Ra all dealing with injuries that game as well. On defense, they did not have Brian Branch, Ifi Melifonwu, Shauncee Gardner Johnson, or CJ Gardner Johnson, or Josh Pascal. All starters right now, right? So. Well, I mean, you could argue CJGJ, whatever, but he's playing start a level. He's playing over half snaps. That's start a level for me. So this is a very different secondary than they saw last time. It's a very different rushing attack than they saw last time. And so it's a very different offense, in my opinion. I think the Lions are they they're healthier than when they played them in week six. And they have a different way of winning than they did in week six. And so I think the Lions are a different team, both offense and defense. I think the Bucks are a different team on offense, but I think their defense is what it is. And it hasn't really changed. So you saw the defense last time. You knew how you know how to beat them. And I think that's going to be again a huge advantage for the Lions, is that they know this Bucks defense. Remember, their history with the coaches Lions coaches history with Todd Bowles goes back to 2000 when Aaron Glenn, when he was Aaron Glenn's position coach and then he coached with Dan Campbell and then he coached with Aaron Glenn. And then like he was Aaron Glenn's position coach at two different spots. Like they know Todd Bowles better than any coaching staff out there. And they know his defense and his defense has not changed all season. It's the same way it is 
same way it's been. And, and they know it, this coaching staff knows it. And so it's we're we could be looking at another offensive versus offensive type of game where we see, you know, a lot of offenses and adjustments being made, but I don't know how many adjustments Todd Bowles is going to make, which again, big advantage for the lions. Antoine Winfield was on the AP and PFF's first team uh, all pro teams. He was not on NFLPA's first team, but he got two of the three. Uh, Another, the going to special teams, another Tampa all pro, a PFF first teamer, Chase McLaughlin, the kicker, 29 of 31 on field goal attempts, eight of nine from over 50 yards. So they got a weapon. Yeah, he kicked a fifty-four. Kicker. He kicked a fifty-four yarder last week as well. We, you mentioned uh, Badgley kicking one. McLaughlin hit one from fifty-four. He was three of three in field goals. He was three of three on on extra points, and uh, he's been terrific. He's he's a he's very good. Um, I think he is a guy that if they get in range and they stall, then uh, that's where he comes into play. And I tell you what, if you look at the numbers. Tampa Bay's uh, red zone scoring is uh, 30th in the NFL. They're the third worst red zone scoring team. And so what you might end up seeing is a lot of Chase McLaughlin. You might see them have to kick more than they might want to. And if they're having to kick and the Lions are, are, are you know, able to score touchdowns, again, you're going you're gonna to win that way. So, But I do think if they get in range, McLaughlin's probably going to hit it. And that's that's gonna that could add up quick. The punters Jake Camarda averaging fifty yards a kick on the season. He's okay. I don't have a whole lot to say about him. And uh returning, Devin Tompkins does the returning, uh averaging around ten yards on punts and twenty yards on kicks. Yeah, it is so that's better as a punt returner than kick return. He's more below average kick returner, average punt returner from a number standpoint. Zach Triner's the long snapper. Sorry. I didn't look up long snapper stuff this week. I can tell you that um, the punter also does kickoffs, uh, but he's not very good. He's, he's again, average to below on that. He's not, you know, doing anything special. Kicking off, 62% of his kicks go for touchbacks when McLaughlin has been asked to kick off. 75% of his kicks go as touchbacks. So yep. might have a better yep. boot on the kicker than on the punter when it comes to the kickoffs. All right, that's it, Eric. Who's going to win? Although I think I won last week. Am I rallying? Do I still have a chance to catch oh, you? Oh, I, I, you know what? I didn't even let – me, let me see if I even – We didn't consider this. That, that we, We've got some games in the playoffs here. I'm going to be honest. I didn't even mark it down. Um, well, we don't have to count it. Regular seasons, all that counts. This well, is... the the regular season ended ten to seven. So, mm-hmm. if you won last week, it'd still be <laughs> ten to eight. So, I guess uh, it's not I mean, over yet. Um, technically, yeah, I don't know what the, I don't remember what you picked. Um, I think I, I was twenty seven twenty five. I had some weird score, but it was close. Well, that'd, be, that, that'd be closer than mine. I was, um, I was a little higher. I know I was in the thirties. I think it was like thirty one to twenty something. But yeah, I don't think I was. I, I would have been off. Um, so yeah, if you, I mean, look, I, I'll give it to you. I'll trust that you were uh, that you were close. Um, 
This one I, I'll, might be, so, oh. so I'll give it to you. Yeah, I'm going to let you go first. This one might be a tighter game defensively than even the last game was. Um, you know, I don't know. I could go either way on this one, which is crazy because they should beat the Bucks. You know, they they transitive property of football. They beat them in Tampa earlier in the season. Why shouldn't they beat them at home? But we've discussed all the reasons. Both teams have improved uh, since that time. And, uh, you know, who really knows? Uh, I think, you know, the, the spread six and a half, and I think it's moving towards seven, but that you know, there's a lot of Lions fans out there now. Like besides, you know, the, the standard Lions fans now, it's a bandwagon type of team. I could see a lot of uh, regular folks getting on the side of the Lions and then also betting on them and driving the uh, the, the lineup. So just, just the number did drop to six and now and it's back up to six and a half. Just oh, so okay. Know. All right. So maybe they're not hammering the Lions as much. Maybe, I mean, maybe they are now, but. I think Tampa Bay keeps it close, but I, I'll have the Lions winning 20 to 17. 20 to 17. Okay. Yep. 2 0. All right. Um, I'm expecting a little bit more high scoring than, than you are. Uh, I do expect it to be a close game, even though I'm not quite as close as you. Uh, my numbers, I have 28 23 is my score. Mm. I, um, so that's two touchdowns and three field goals for, for them and, and four scores for the Lions. And so, I think 28-23 is is kind of my ballpark. Um I think the I think the Bucks are going to be able to move the ball. And um yeah. Mayfield dropping lasers to Evans and Godwin will be bizarre. Baker Mayfield. Um but for me the this game is going to come down to red zone efficiency. And Tampa Bay has a hard time getting into the end zone when they get in range and they end up leaning on their field goal kicker, which is why I think he'll probably make three. And um, the lions though. And so then like when you look at the lions red zone defense, they're also bad, but they've been better of late. They um, didn't allow the Rams to score at all uh, in the red zone. They, all their scores were from outside. And then you flip it, and it's a strength on strength again. Um, the Bucks red zone defense is third in the NFL. The Lions red zone offense is second in the NFL. And so I think when they get down there, they're going to get home. Uh, against the Bucks last time, they were 0 for 2 in the red zone. Last week against the Rams, uh, they were 3 of 3. So I think it's, they're going to be able to get home. I think that's the way they're playing right now. And I think they'll get four opportunities in the, in maybe three of them come in the red zone. Maybe all four of them come in the red zone. I expect them to, to finish and maybe they don't finish all of them, but like the bucks are willing to give up yardage and then try and lock you down when you get in tight. And so you know, maybe kind of there's like an, the Lions. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe there's an oddity, but like maybe they kick a couple field goals and, you know, instead of a, a you know, a touchdown in there, but maybe I'm a little bit off in my score. But like, I think the Lions have an advantage against their secondary. And I expect Ben to have some 
some some game plans, you know, that he's been holding on to. I expect him to have a couple of play calls that he's been holding on to. And uh, I think they used the run to kind of pinch some guys up and then let Jared Goff deal. And, yeah, Baker's been doing good, but I also think the way that they – he'll and he'll take his big shots, don't get me wrong, but I think the way that they're designed is they're designed to – get yards and then try and score and then allow yards and try and stop. And I think that plays into the lion's advantage. So close game. Um, I wish it was a little bit more. I wish I could predict seven or more and maybe, you know, it could be, it could be, it could be a big, you know, it could be a big score. We've all the other playoff games were big scores, differentials uh, other than lions one, but I think it's a better pack. It's a better bucks team than we saw in week six, but it's also a better Lions team than we saw in week six. So that's why I expect them to score more than 20 this time around. And I expect the Bucks just to, you know, uh, score more than six this time around as well. So that's what I got. uh, I got 28, what did I say? 28, 23. Is it, is there a little, it's a little nervy because, everybody's going to pick the lions to win. This is going to be heavily picking the lions to win the analysts and yep. everybody on TV. Is that a concern? You know, Tampa Bay is going to be like, well, nobody picked this and you were going to come out of nowhere. And maybe the lions <laughs> thought this is going to be a walkover. And I don't no, think the lions will be like that, but there's always that. So. If everybody's going one way, it, it might end up going the other way to surprise everyone. You know, what's interesting though, is and I try not to pay too much attention to to them during during the week because I have enough to do. Uh, but the I've seen a couple of like things online where they're ranking, like everybody's ranking everything. Let's rank, you know, the the eight teams that are left. Let's rank the eight quarterbacks that are left, right? And what I and the consistent theme that I have seen is that nobody thinks the Lions are top five in anything except everyone thinks they're going to win. So it's very, <laughs> it's very interesting. They're like top five quarterbacks, Jared Goff, eight. Top five, top defenses, Lions are eight. Like it's I'm like, okay, I, you know, it's very interesting to me that, I don't know, it's, I so I think, I guess what I'm getting at it is, you can find bulletin board stuff wherever you want if you if you're looking for it. And uh but I or if CJ Gardner Johnson's creating it on his own. I, listen, I don't know why anyone <laughs> would ever engage in an argument with him. He is not uh he is not uh he's not a guy I would want to argue with. Let me put it that way. Um so yes, it's you know, he's a guy who creates his own motivation, right? And there's a few guys mm-hmm. like that, that can, that find ways to create their own motivation. Um, you know, I, I, I fully expect Hutchinson to say, I've got to get revenge because I only had one pressure last time. Right. And I sure, I'm sure he's going to self-motivate himself like that. And, and lots of guys need that. And, 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 lot, and some guys don't, and I don't expect a lot of outside noise though, to, to be, too much of a factor um i do agree with you though that 
I expect a lot of people to be picking the Lions because because of how they did. They how they performed last week, how they've been performing lately. I think there's some advantages despite what the the listers uh like to put out there. And um I think the crowd is going to be a factor again. I you know, I I expect them to be loud. I'm I'm not sold that they're going to be louder than no, they were last weekend because of not. the emotional component yep. last week. There's some drainage since then. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, the Such a momentous game. Well, I mean, yeah, I I agree with you completely. At the same time, the stakes are, are higher. And so I still expect the place to be very rocking and very loud. And, uh, you know, they have, they've never been here before. Right. Like they've never, they've never played this deep into January ever. So. Yeah. They broke the record last week. Right. The latest Alliance team had ever played in January is January 12th. And then they played January 14th last week. So just extending the record. Right. So I expect, I, I, I expect the fans to know what's, what's going on. And, and, and to be re- prepared and have a plan and, and, uh, it, it just, it, it still means a ton. You know what I mean? Like, I know last week was very emotional and I, like, a, like you said, I do expect some, 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 uh, kind of kickback emotionally. The, the deflation. Since yeah, a little then. bit. Um, right. at the same time, I do expect them to be ready though. Go ahead. Things that bother me and do they bother you? Number okay. one. Tampa Bay went nine and eight this year. They won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. They don't have the greatest fan base. Everybody's off the bandwagon now that Tom Brady's retired. They yeah. go nine and eight and they win a playoff game. The mm-hmm. Lions have won two playoff games in your entire life. How does this team, nine and eight, squeaks their way into the playoffs? You know, a couple of yeah. tiebreakers don't go their way. It's the <laughs> Saints and they go ahead and win a playoff game. That yeah, stuff bothers up. me. They caught they, some like really bad luck or really good luck. They've caught some right. really caught some teams at the, at the right time. Like you said, their, their, their games down the stretch were, were not, you know, very challenging uh, from an opponent standpoint. And then the Eagles, the Eagles had lost five of their last six going into that game. And then they just imploded. Right. Like, well, it was, you know, Matt Patricia. I mean, I mean, Patricia's obviously the worst in his defensive, his defense that he called was the worst. It was it was as bad as I remember, and um, but it was offense too. Like Jalen Hurts yeah, it was everywhere. The, they imploded. The, you said the they line, imploded. The line of scrimmage was at the eight, and he kept drifting, and he got a safety because he kept drifting back and drifting mm-hmm. back and drifting. Like, how do you get a safety from the eight yard line? Like, like that's that's they were just done. That's it. I mean, they were. Psychology of the team was done. I was thinking that the Lions were headed for, you know, like the ghosts of Lions past, like where Bobby Lane would visit Dan Campbell in the middle of the night, and then they'd go peeking in windows to see, like, <laughs> like what, what, what these demons they'd have to slay. The first one's Matthew Stafford. The second one would be Matt Patricia. You know, and then the third one would be the Packers. Like, wouldn't that be Certainly. the perfect three demons to slay on the, yeah. on your way to the Super Bowl? The other thing that bothers me are those mm-hmm. Packers. Here they are rebuilding. You know, this team wins yeah. tons of playoff games. They've won a couple of the Super Bowls in our lifetime. All they do is win all the time. Finally, we get we beat them last year. 
you know, sucked the life out, kept them out of the playoffs. Time for you to rebuild, Packers. It's Lions time. <laughs> Half a season kind of looks that way. You know, Packers are like three and six or whatever they are. They're struggling along. And now all of a sudden, boom, nine and eight, going to Dallas, <laughs> destroy them. Win a first playoff game like nothing. Like winning playoff games for some franchises, yeah. piece of cake. And certainly they're a run better. Tampa Bay really isn't. Like Tampa Bay like pops up out of nowhere once every couple of decades and it's run real well for a short period of time. Then they disappear, you know? Well, the, the, yeah, the South was terrible this year. Like it was anyone who came out of the South was going to be counter stars that they were, that they were there and it just happened that they, that the, that the bucks had the better, the better schedule. Um, and then I don't care who, which one of the teams came out, whether it was the saints or um, the Falcons, I think all of them could have beat the the Eagles the way the Eagles played. You know what I mean? So, um, I think no, the Bucks team bothers me. The, the Lions yeah, never no, ran certainly. into that kind of luck once. Well, and so with the Packers, <laughs> if you if you watch the Packers down the stretch, like they that that game against Minnesota in like Week Seventeen, it looked like they were trying to lose. Like they were trying to lose the game. Like they were almost out of the playoffs. They barely snuck in. Now how they beat the tar out of Dallas. I don't know. I think that's well, been, uh, they have that's their, also Dallas has Dallas. their own issues that right. McCarthy, Quinn, Prescott, mm-hmm. there's Micah Parsons for some reason. <laughs> you know, like, there's a bunch of guys who underperformed I, in that game. Yeah, um, were was, they scared or were they poorly prepared or did they I expect they, one thing and got another? I don't know. I think they were poorly prepared. And then the, the Packers team just, was playing well, well. prepared, extremely well prepared, and then played really yeah. well on top of it. Yeah. Um. Now, the Packers are up against the Niners, and I believe the last three times the Packers were in the playoffs, they got knocked out by the Niners, if I'm not mistaken, or at least three times in in recent history that they've. Uh, I don't know if it's the the, the most the, the three most recent, or if it's just been three recent times, but the Packers have been. Uh, They've not found the solution to the 49ers yet. Now, if they beat the 49ers, then and the Lions beat the Bucks, that's another home game. So I'm excited about that. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if you should be so excited about that. Well, I I would be nervous about playing It'd the Packers, but at time the same time, for the curse to rear its head again. <laughs> well, you know what though? You said that last week, and then look at that. The I feel like it doesn't mean it's is, not lurking around the corner, Eric. Well, but the curse is getting picked apart a little bit by a little bit. Well, right? it's got to yeah. be it's got to be put down. I, I want it to go away. Although then I lose my lose my shtick for the show. <laughs> I'll come up with something else. But like if you know, like it's not dead yet. Well, let's get the Packers then next week in Ford Field and let's kill it that way. Oh, then I, I'm I'm oh, okay be with careful that. what you wish for. Yeah, I'm all there's, right. And there's people inside a Ford Field cheering for the Packers. Ah, bizarre. Well, they were cheering That's, for the home game. That's no, what they were. I, cheering I get for. it. I get it. But come on. Yeah, but look, they cheered for Stafford, when Stafford. went, but like, look, they cheered for Stafford when you know Stafford was in the Super Bowl, and and they cheered for yeah, the at least Packers. The Lions to win. weren't involved in that game. Well. <laughs> But I also think it's like, okay to wanted, root for other teams at the Lions. I think they also wanted Dallas to lose because of the uh, well, because of what ha- everything that happened. Right, I get it? Yeah, like they wanted the uh, they wanted the football gods to right a wrong, and that's you know that's I guess what happens. Brad Allen gets off the hook for uh, because the Lions get a second home game. So you know, 
Good old Brad Allen. Yeah, so Packers lost to the 49ers in the 21 playoffs. They lost to the Niners then in the 2019 playoffs. and the 2020 playoffs in the conference championship game, they lost to Tom Brady's Buccaneers. Oh, there you go. There you go. But, yeah, they've, they've struggled with San Francisco traditionally in the playoffs. So, Well, let's, let's see, see if it can happen again. Yeah. I'm uh, I like I like the Lions matchup in this game. So, I also like uh, staying at home. So, I I, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be rooting. Plus, for the you get Packers. to go to the games. Yeah, well, that certainly helps. Um, but yeah, I think I think if I had the opportunity to go to a game at Ford Field versus go to a game in uh, what. Is it still Levi's? Levi's. Oh, it's Levi's now. It's Candlestick. Candlestick Park. Isn't they it? haven't played Isn't in Candlestick it? Park in years. Well, that, you know, sometimes they carry those names, right? Like, like that's Pittsburgh. True. Like Pittsburgh still is like Heinz Field, but it hasn't been Heinz well, Field. Yeah, for, that's, for a long that's time. nonsense that they sold the naming right. It's nonsense that A, Heinz gave up the naming rights, and B, that some, you know, insurance company or whatever it is you know, mm-hmm. picks up the naming rights. It probably will be called Heinz field forever, but remember like there's such animosity in San Francisco that they moved to Santa Clara instead of right, building right. The stadium in San Francisco. They want them to change the name to the Santa Clara 49ers or oh, some people did maniacs did, you know, like <laughs> angry people did at some point. So, <laughs> but it is Levi stadium and there's no, they don't throw any candlestick type references. I, I think that would be frowned upon. All right, I, I can remember. Well, I'd rather I'd rather see a game in Ford Field than have to travel to to San Francisco. Oh well, sure, that would be preferable. But <laughs> there's no like cursed up to except for maybe you could point to like, well, you know, San Francisco they won that playoff game against the Lions in like '82 where the Lions blew it at the end. You know, there's baggage <laughs> with baggage with every team in the Lions. It seems. Well. We'll find a way to spin it into uh, some curse-related uh, story yeah, that we can yeah, de- that yeah. we can defeat. Yeah, we didn't have to hammer too much on the curse. I mean, at least I'm not talking about the moon, although I am interested in that. <laughs> Even though, like, I don't know why I'm a moon person. Like, I'm not into astrology or anything. But all of a sudden, like, what phase is the moon in? They'll have do the lions normally win in that phase of the moon? <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with anything. But nothing it has yeah. nothing to do with anything. That's what. <laughs> all right that's uh, it we got a, a apple apple podcast we got another five star review woo five very nice reviews we appreciate that we got a boost of a couple of reviews over on spotify so that's great to see and uh you know hey thanks everybody for listening and hope you're enjoying the ride as much as me and eric hopefully it lasts a few more weeks that'd be great that's it do you have anything to add eric no, if you're going to the game, uh, bring the noise. If you're show up, you're watching. Yeah, if you're if you're if you're uh, staying at home, uh, stay warm because it's cold out there. Yeah, well, you're at home, so hopefully you're warm. Hopefully you're not in a situation where you're cold. You know, yeah. it's like, well, but what if you lost power? It's like, well, then you're not watching the game, and hopefully you <laughs> find yourself in somebody else's house watching the game or at a bar <laughs> or something. All right, that's it. Hopefully, we have another positive podcast coming next week so until that time let's go lions get a uh, divisional playoff win